You know, you can worship God in your car going down the road in the shower. Man, he hear he hears all of it. He just wants us to worship him. So I, I appreciate that, Natalie. I am starting a new series this morning in the Gospel of John. It's one of the biographies of Jesus. And uh, actually, usually when you start in a book, you start at the beginning. But I'm actually starting near the end. Uh, because the last two verses in John chapter 20 tell us why the book was written. So if you'll turn to me to, with me to John 20, very last two verses, 30 and 31. Stand in God's honor. I want to read aloud and pray, and we'll jump right into this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that uh, you came close, that you took on flesh. Talk about a demotion. Um, but Lord, it was necessary for us to know life and to experience this grace that Natalie sang about, Lord. Uh, Father, just speak to us as we look at your word this morning. Speak beyond what I can say. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Speak your words of life. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. There are 21 chapters in the book of John, and I, I counted them, uh, the verses that is, not the chapters, I'll say 21 chapters. did it a couple of times because I, I thought, man, I'm going to mess this up. I had to make sure I came up with the same number. 879 verses. The key word in the book of John, 98 times you find this word, is the word believe. The book was written because God wants us to trust, to believe, to have faith in Him. You know, the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, if you can't see where you're going, there's a good chance you're going to bump into something. Or, you know, through the years at night, especially when the kids were young, I've stepped on Legos. I've uh, hit my shin against things in the floor because I was trying to, you know, not cut the light on and make my way to where I was going. And it ended up a dangerous path. And God, he makes a point in that, in saying that you, you may not always know what you're doing, where you're going, what's around the corner, exactly where you're stepping, but I'll be your helper. I will be your guide. And this biography of Jesus was written to help us trust God. To trust in Jesus Christ. It tells us in Hebrews eleven six that, guys, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who believes in him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Who are legitimately... Asking God to help, to reveal, to give us some insight because we feel like we're in the dark. He said at one point, our Lord Jesus, if you believe, all things are possible 
And then one guy, I love the honesty of this guy, as Jesus was speaking to him, and he said, just believe. And he said, I do believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And that's the reality of it. We talk about having faith. We talk about trusting God. But sometimes that's a lot more difficult when it is me who has to do the trusting instead of someone else who I'm talking to about the trust. So let's, as we open this up, look at what John tells us Jesus did. Notice the first part here in verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book. So the first thing he tells us is, man, this is not a complete play-by-play of everything Jesus did in that three and a half years. As a matter of fact, what I am going to share with you is very specific. It is just a few of those many things that Jesus accomplished. When he had eyewitnesses with him, and when we think about that, we think of the, the 12 guys. You know, uh, last Friday, we had our Good Friday service. Uh, we meet the 12, you know, the, the disciples, the apostles. They, you know, got a glimpse of that. These were not special guys. They were not guys who had it all together. And I think that was on purpose because God wanted to show us that he works the ordinary people just like us. Grew to 70, 120 that were praying, waiting for God to come back. But still, they were all followers. They were all by Jesus, seeking to learn from Jesus. Now, if we were to pick 12 followers, disciples, how would we do it? Well, here's a letter that I found someone who imagined this and said, well, if you hired a PR firm, what you might look like if you were trying to change the world. They said, um, well, Jesus, here's our advice after much consideration from people who know how these things work. Number one, you should go to the finest seminaries and find the brightest professors who are cutting edge in how to lead other people to God and experiences of God. Number two, what you need to do is find some powerful, articulate communicators who can say it really pretty, you know, who are eloquent in, in what they say. I never know exactly how that works, but <laughs> look for those guys. Third, you need, to, you need to have some millionaires on your side. If you want to accomplish big things, you need big bucks if you want to change the world. So you need to find some people who are extremely wealthy. Number four, you need to hire three guys that look like professional wrestlers to be your bodyguards because once you begin to attain fame, it's not going to be safe for you. So you need to be sure and get some strong, powerful people around you. You know, uh, in this day, we'd say, you know, packing something. But uh, in that day, they had other ways of protection. Uh, and then, finally, number five, hey, if you really want to attract a crowd, Jesus, you need some great music or a fantastic band that is known in the area 
that can come and draw, draw people, draw a huge crowd. And isn't it funny? Jesus didn't do any of that stuff. He didn't play by the rules. He actually went to a place you wouldn't think where some guys were fishing. You know, they smelled like fish. Not exactly guys you want knocking on your door to talk to you about God. Uh, can you give me a minute? And then some other people who were called that Jesus himself chose. These guys lived with Jesus. They saw Jesus firsthand. Look what our text tells us in verse 30. It says, Jesus did miraculous signs, many other miraculous signs. And what is a sign? It's a, it's a distinguishing mark. In other words, they saw Jesus do stuff they had never seen before. The stuff that Jesus did, they were just in awe. He's not like anyone else I have ever met. Certainly, he's special. And they followed him, I believe, because they said he's God. He's not like us. In 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, these are all letters that John wrote besides the gospel. He starts out uh, in 1 John. Here's what he says. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our own eyes, which we've looked at, our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. In other words, this stuff that John writes, it's not secondhand. He didn't read it in another book. He didn't hear someone else talk about it. Man, he was there. Can you imagine what would it have been like to hear Jesus do the Sermon on the Mount? Even the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. They'll be filled. And, and, and you know, so forth. It, it, to hear those words of Jesus, to hear the different uh, famous sermons that he gave talking about what would happen in the future or or talking about his coming death. It, we you know, looked at some of that stuff, of course, in Easter that led to his resurrection and his life. And they saw people who had withered limbs made whole. People who were deaf now could hear. People unable to speak, now their tongues were loosed and they were able to speak. The blind could see. Of course there was a crowd. The broken were healed. People were made whole. And, and John got to see that. As a matter of fact, there are 34 distinguishing marks and miraculous signs that are mentioned in this book that none of us are able to do. <laughs> but Jesus did. And it made the impact. As a matter of fact, it also angered the religious leaders. They were angered because... They had certain rules that should not be broken. And Jesus, he broke them. He broke the rules. Why? Because the people were more important than the rules to Jesus. Someone, I, I, I found this kind of entertaining. Someone wrote, if they did this today with all the regulations we have now, how would they respond to Jesus? <laughs> he would be wanted by the FDA for turning water into wine without a license. He'd be wanted by the EPA for killing fig trees. The 
AMA for practicing medicine without a license. The Department of Health for asking people to open graves and raising the dead and feeding 5,000 people out in the wilderness. Who does he think he is? He'd be wanted by the NEA, the National Education Association, for teaching without a certificate. The OCEA for walking on water without a life jacket and flying without an airplane. He'd be wanted by the ASPCA for driving hogs into the sea. He'd be wanted by the National Board of Psychiatrists for giving on advice on how to live a guilt-free life. He would be wanted by now, National Organization for Women, for not choosing a woman apostle. He'd be wanted by the Abortion Rights League for saying that whoever harms children is better they'd never been born. And he'd be wanted by the interfaith movement for condemning other religions. Jesus did not act according to the rule book. Why? Because that's not what he came for. He came for us. There's a bunch of stuff that Jesus did that is not included in this gospel, the gospel of John, but is included in the other gospels. So this isn't a selective account of the works of Jesus Christ. The works that were picked by John that were included in this gospel, which is the story of the life of Jesus Christ, was chosen for a specific reason. <laughs> and we're going to look at that today. The other three Gospels, they're known to be similar. They're called the Synoptic Gospels. They are Gospels that are described as see together with a common view or together sight. They share many of the same truths. Uh, for example, the Gospel of Matthew was written for a Jewish audience and the purpose of it was to prove about the coming Jewish Messiah, the King of Israel. And so when you read the Gospel of Matthew, the phrase would be, He's the King! And then there's the Gospel of Mark. There's no genealogies listed in that. Um, there's uh, the idea of him being a servant. In Mark 10, 45, he says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So you read the Gospel of Mark with the idea, Here is your servant. Servant Messiah. Wow. Third, there's the book of Luke with a lengthy genealogy, and it focuses on the fact God became a man. It looked at the humanity of Jesus and how that was so essential in God coming to us. And so you'd say with Luke, Behold the man who is God. Then we come to, of course, the gospel that we're looking at today, the gospel of John, and you would say, Behold your God. You see, in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is presented as God, not merely a man. He is deity. He is the one that we worship. The book of John opens up, and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God. It's made clear in this gospel, Jesus truly is the promised one. He is the Messiah. He is God whom you have been waiting for and anticipating to arrive. Now, it says here in, in verse 30, it tells us uh, also the many things which are not recorded in this book. So what's not recorded? Well, there's no birth of Jesus in the Gospel of John. It doesn't talk about his birth. It doesn't talk about his baptism by John the Baptist. There's no word about his temptation in the wilderness. Why? Because these things were emphasizing the humanity of Christ and the struggle of being a person, human being. John's emphasizing the deity of Christ. That's why he tells us in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and lived among us, dwelt among us. It was his birth from a different angle. He was not just a man. He was deity. He was God. He was God in the flesh. There's no parables in the Gospel of John. There's no eschological discourses. In other words, Jesus didn't spend a lot of time talking about the last days and the end times. Um, there's no exercising of demons or healing of lepers. There's no formal list of the twelve apostles. There's no account of the transfiguration with Moses and Elijah. There's no specific word about the last supper of how we are to take the Lord's Supper, that it's His body, that it's His blood. Um, although we see Jesus in the upper room, He doesn't describe that in detail. There's no mention of the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane where He said, not my will, but your will be done. Those are all mentioned in the other three Gospels, but not in the Gospel of John. So what? What is... What was mentioned in John, and why was it mentioned? Well, go on in verse 31, we see the answer. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have eternal life. There's something very interesting in the book of John. 90% of what is written in the book of John is new stuff. It is not in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Only do you find it in the book of John. For, for example, those first verses, you know, I, I read the first one, or quoted the first one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was a light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it, not, and the Word became flesh. Now, what do you find in the book of John? Just a few things. You find the first miracle. Man, he did a wonder work with that water, didn't he? Made the finest wine ever uh, that was enjoyed at that wedding party. There's Nicodemus, the Pharisee who comes at night to talk to Jesus. And here's those words that spoke so powerfully to him. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Then in chapter 4, there's the woman at the well. That Samaritan woman. 
their I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the light of the world. That's not found in the other gospels. That's found in the gospel of John. There's a raising of Lazarus from the dead that's found only in this book. The washing of the disciples' feet. And, and then, of course, that upper room discourse as Jesus um, talked about the cross that was around the corner. Chapter 17, the priestly prayer. He spoke a lot about the Holy Spirit, much more about the Holy Spirit in the book of John than in the other Gospels. There's t- approximately 1,200 days in the ministry of Jesus Christ while he ministered upon this world in human form. But you know what? Out of those... 1,200 days, the Gospel of John only talks about 20 days. Now think about that. Of the 1,200 days, he only talks about 20 days. Doesn't even mention the second year of that three and a half year ministry. So he didn't write a lot of stuff compared to what he could have written. So why did he write it? Well, it tells us to promote faith and life and belief. Why? Written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 879 verses and 21 chapters. 98 times the word believe is used. Believe what? A specific thing to believe. Man, Jesus is who you're looking for, whether you realize it or not. Christ is not just merely a last name. He is the anointed one. He is the promised one. He is the one that can bring healing. He is the one that can provide forgiveness. He is the one who can give us the answers that we so desperately long for, those big answers of why am I here? Is there a God? Does He love me? Does He care? Those are are answered and and in this biography of Jesus Christ it says this is written so that you may understand that that God does love you and you learn about who God is and what God has accomplished those distinguishing marks that give evidence to who he is all of this stuff is written so that we may believe in him um It's not past tense. As he wrote, he said that you may believe, he doesn't say that you may believe Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Son of God, that this happened. It's in the present active tense. In other words, what he's trying to say is Jesus didn't merely walk on the earth 2,000 years ago and impact the people who were there at that point in time, Jesus is here now. Jesus is the Christ. He is here to forgive you and me. He is here to offer us hope. He is here to be our guide. He is here because He loves us. Boy, that makes all the difference. We're not talking about a God who was. We're talking about a God who is now for us. William Barclay wrote these words. He said, so often we have a kind of vague, wistful longing 
that the promises of God should be true. But the only way to enter into them is to believe in them with a clutching intensity of a drowning man. Man, it's to cling to that truth that God did love the world so much that He sent His one and only Son. And that we are to believe to, to find that life and to find that hope that we need. You know, we, we, I hear that saying all the time. Well, you know, when you get to the end of your rope, end of your rope, you better hang on when you get to the end of your rope. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, well, you got to tie a knot in the end of the rope. Because if you don't tie a knot in the end of the rope, you're going to slide right off that rope. And the knot is faith in Jesus Christ. Man, that's a knot you get to the end of your rope. That's what, what you hold on to. That's what keeps you secure and keeps you from sliding off and falling. To believe that He is alive. To believe He is among us. That's why the book was written. That's why it was given to us. Uh, James Brown, a Baptist pastor, wrote these words <laughs> in one of his books. Uh, he, he talked about years ago when he was learning to fly in his flight instructor. instructor. Uh, they were up in a plane, and the flight instructor said, uh, I want you to take a steep and extended dive. He said, what? So anyway, he obeyed. He put the plane into a, a steep and extended dive, and all of a sudden, he went blank. And he, he oh man, was he stressed more than that i can't think of the right word <laughs> but anyway he was so upset and then is he came back and he was able to think clearly and so he, he managed to level off the plane and then he started yelling at the flight instructor are you a nut did you try to kill both of us why did you do that and i love this Here, here's the answer that the flight instructor gave to him and he said this calmly, by the way. <laughs> there is no position you can get this airplane into that I cannot get you out of it. If you want to learn to fly, go up there and do it again. The author said, uh, at that moment, God seemed to be saying to me, remember this, as you serve me, there is no situation you can get yourself into that I cannot get you out of. If you trust me, you will be all right. You see, he's the Christ. He's the promised one. He's the son of God. And with the faith, he provides us with life. With life. It's interesting, as you, as you look through the book, um, chapter 1, it says Nathaniel believed. Chapter 2, uh, we say, it says the disciples believed. And chapter it says the Samaritans believed and it says a Capernaum official and his whole family believed and, and so forth as you read through this book you see about how people's lives are changed and suddenly they believe in Christ and it changes everything it changes their whole perspective and, and we're going to see that as we open up the gospel of John and look at how Jesus impacted lives as people personally encountered Jesus Christ it says, so you may have life. Well, 
English, we use one word, and often the Greek uses several words uh, because the description is, is so, so much more um, powerful, and so it takes more than one word. Uh, for example, one word for life in the Greek is bios, and uh, that we get biography, we get biology from that, and that tends to be with the appearance when we get caught up in our appearance, people say, name one thing you'd like to uh, change about yourself. And I'd say, oh, it's my crooked nose, or it's my eyes that want to look at each other, or, or you know, my lack of hair, as, as that continues to develop in the wrong direction. Or, or, you know, that picture of my appearance, or how I look, uh, that's bias. And, and then second, not only is there bias, but there's suke which is a word we get psychology from. And this is about our personality, our thought life, the inner self, who we are. This is the second word that is used. But that is not the word Jesus uses here. The word that he uses here is the word Zoe. And it speaks about a quality of life. And of course, also, it leads to a quantity of life because it's a word that literally means everlasting life or eternal life. People live in such desperation today and they need to know there is more than meets the eye, more than the superficial appearance of what life is truly about. They need to have some type of hope, some reason to get up in the morning. And Jesus is talking here about that type of life that he provides. John 10.10 says, The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, or some translations, have it to the full. And in the Weiss translation, it says, Life in superabundance <laughs> that Christ gives us. Um, in the Amplified, it says, Life to the full until it overflows. I love the story of D.L. Moody where he was walking down the street. God had been doing such a work in his life that he just screams out in the middle of a crowded street in a large city, God, you got to stop. Everybody's looking at him. What's wrong with you? He is blessing me so much I can't stand it. <laughs> and, and this is the picture here of the type of life God wants to give to us that is found in Christ and it is what is revealed in the biography of Jesus Christ as we get to know Jesus and who Jesus is and why he came and the love that he has for us we cannot help but believe in him and find that type of life you see he says these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name that word believing is, is not in past tense. It's present and it's continuous. In other words, it's not that I made a commitment to Christ. I came forward. I, I joined the church. I was baptized. And at that point, I was saved. That is just one aspect of salvation. It is not the whole walk. It is the first step. This word, by believing, means that I continue to believe day after day, that I continue to place my trust in Him no matter what the day brings, that I continue to surrender to Him because I know He loves me and that He will guide me and He will lead me and He will not abandon me because He's the one I need. I want to close with this. Uh, 
It's called A Solitary Life, written by James Hefley. Many, many of you have heard it. Uh, dug this out. I haven't read it in many years. I know Agape, well, that's a whole other thing. A, a group of people that we got involved in, a, it was almost like a rescue ministry type of work. Um, people, anyway, they would always read one solitary life at some of the meetings. It was just, anyway, here it is. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside of a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed tomb through the pity of a friend. Nineteen, well, more than that now, long centuries have come and gone. <laughs> and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I'm far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. And that's why we want to take a deep dive in finding out about that one solitary life as the Gospel of John reveals. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for those here for those listening, um, Father, I, I just pray that uh, you'd speak to us, Lord. Um, Father, may we start reading through the book of John again, Lord, and remembering that uh, this book was written so that we might believe. And sometimes our belief is shaky. I pray that you would change that. I pray if there is someone here who has never taken that first step, to say, I believe, um, help my unbelief, forgive me, Jesus, enter my life, give me that new start, change me, Lord. What a great first step to trust and know you and have that journey that guarantees us that we'll go to heaven. I, I, I pray anyone here, Father, you would just bring them into your kingdom now, speak to them. And God, just work in our lives, Lord. And help us, Father. Without you, what do we have? What's it matter who else we know if we don't know you? Father, just speak to us as we have a time of invitation and a response to you, Lord. We just ask you to speak. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.